Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it will encourage you and help you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, good. Okay. Nice to see you. Nice to hear from you. I, I was hoping you were happy to see me, too. Um, thank you for the second greeting, which helped affirm that. Laura, I, she just did an outstanding job of the announcements again. I noticed you didn't clap, and that's okay. I affirm that. She doesn't... No, 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 no. Thank you. We kind of have a running thing we pay attention to, the responses to the announcement effectiveness, and Laura keeps winning. So... As Laura mentioned, we're so excited to have guests that we're bringing in from India to join us the last Sunday of this month. And they uh, requested that they would have the opportunity to share some things about what God is doing strategically through their church and in their nation. And if you're following some of the stories that are unfolding in that part of the world right now, it is not convenient, comfortable, or easy to be a follower of Christ in many parts of that nation right now. People uh, lose lives or livelihood as a result, and they are strategically not shrinking back, but moving forward with the gospel of Jesus, because wherever it's opposed the fiercest and the strongest, it always has the greatest opportunity to flourish. And he wants to be able to tell some of those stories and let us know how we can be praying. So that's why it won't be live streamed that day. And uh, if you're a regular watcher online, come make sure that you're with us that Sunday in person. Um, We are now arriving at the last Sunday in this series that we've been in since the beginning of the year called Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. We're into February February as it is right now. Has anybody said Happy New Year to you in the last week or two? Um, February seems out of bounds. You know, you might get the odd Happy New Year third week of January, but even then it's a bit strange and you have to question the integrity and sensibility of whoever just said that to you. But the reason we're in this series is because at the beginning of Years especially, Um, as humans, there's something called the fresh start effect. When something appears to be new, be it a year, a month, even a week, or a day, we have new motivation or energy, inspiration for things. And there are very important things concerning your and my health that matters. And a lot of times at the beginning of the year, people do set goals or objectives or hopes for the year concerning their health. Very few people this year thought, this is the year for more chips and fizzy drinks, though we may behave like we set that uh, goal. Why don't we set out with those kind of ambitions? This is the year of gluten, more and more gluten. You know, uh, We don't usually set for those goals because we know there's, there could be a bit more health concern if we do. We usually set out goals that are going to improve physical health or otherwise. And so in this series, to start with, we gave time and attention to the subject of the Bible that this year... Uh, is another great opportunity for you and I to engage with God in his word in deeper and more meaningful ways. And I I hope you're carrying on with that. And if you've, you know, got off to a pretty good start and then you hit some some genealogies in Genesis and some details about how to build a tabernacle in Exodus and you're you're not sure if you're going to make it, keep going. Um, If you you sort of fell off and you think, ah, I I give up, Uh, you can always restart. You can always keep going. And uh, so we spent time talking about the Bible. Then we've spent a couple weeks talking about the importance of our inner health, 
our well-being, and our emotional and mental world. And when that goes unattended, it damages our ability to love well. And that's the highest call God's given us is to love well. Love him, love others. And then the last two weeks, we talked about relational health, covenant and connection. Today, we're going to turn our attention to the word. Let it speak to us about another area in our lives that God wants to bring health and strength to our lives. This week concludes the series. Next week, we're going to launch into a short series with massive implications and potential relating to one of our core biblical values. And so you can look forward to that beginning next week for a few weeks that follow as well. And then, God willing, after that, a little later in March, uh, we're going to jump back into Revelation for a few weeks. Uh, and then uh, we'll take a little break from that. And then, again, God willing, May and June, we should be able to wrap up our journey through the book of Revelation. By the way, uh, you, today you can turn to Matthew chapter 26, and you know that sometimes I make a big deal about liking to hear the sound of you turning in your Bibles. I know that we live in a digital age, and so many of you will access your Bibles on an app, on your phone or iPad or something like that. Go for it if that's you. I know for myself, if that's me, everything else that my phone can do is there to distract me too. The Canucks game starts in an hour. Who's in? Who's out? What are the lines looking like? All of that kind of stuff. There's a Super Bowl today. So there's all kinds of distractions on my phone. I encourage you, you know, if you're, if you're good on a device, stay on a device, that's fine. But there are many good reasons to actually have a physical Bible with you when you come to a church service. And one of them is, if you can manage to keep up with where we're going in Scripture, you can make little notes, you can uh, write things in, you can highlight. I want to just show you a picture of something. Um, this is the Bible of a 15-year-old girl in our church. Her name is Haley Holly, and she's been loving our Revelation series. And I've had several people say, you know, you really should see her Bible sometime. She happened to be here for a meeting one day a couple weeks ago, and so I said, hey, do you mind showing me your Bible? Everybody talks about how you take notes through the Revelation series. And so I was able to leaf through, and look at all of that. She's got color codes. She's got a lot of notes in pencil, which you can't see there. But as I was reading that, she was writing in all kinds of things that we were talking about, about how God's revealing himself through this book, the structure and nature of the book. That is a tool for her for life. Isn't that great? She's not in this service, I don't think. I think she's going to be in the next service. But um, I think that's a really fantastic thing, don't you? So bring your Bibles, take notes, write things. Today we're going to bounce around into a lot of places in Scripture. And I dare you to see if you can keep up and go to almost every place I lead you to today. We're going to anchor ourselves in Matthew chapter 26. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We give you permission to speak to our hearts to bring adjustment to our attitudes, our behaviors, our actions, our life. And we give you this time, and we give you our attention. We do this now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. by the way, if anybody sees a gray hair tie, perfectly matches these pants, I'm strange like that, fell out of my pocket, that's why I'm this way today, which I really don't want to be. I really heat up under this wig, and uh, I'd rather have my hair up, but I can't. So if you happen to see it on the floor, if I dropped it somewhere in the parking lot, you can bring it to me after the service. Pray for me. I've got two services today. Okay, here we go. Matthew chapter 26. <laughs> We're going to pick ourselves <laughs> up in uh, verse 6 in just a moment. Where we find ourselves right now is where N.T. Wright says, this is the last supper before the last supper. This is Friday, a week before Good Friday. And Jesus is together with a few of the people, like disciples, who are usually around him. And we're going to pick it up and see what unfolds in this story. While Jesus was in Bethany, 
in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? How would you have responded if you saw this? Um, I don't think many of us would like to think that we were in the category of the disciples, but they seemed to think they had good reason to protest this way. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And he's speaking of his literal, physical um, walking on the earth at that time. Verse 12, when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, if you're reading, depending on the translation you're in, there may be a, a heading that follows as if there's another story that's sort of a different um, occurrence. I encourage you in your Bible reading, don't always stop at the end of a section or the end of a chapter. At least peek at what's next, because sometimes it's intended to flow very, very naturally into what follows. And so keep in mind, we've just been in this story where this woman comes in and utilizes this very expensive perfume as an act of worship to Jesus. There's a protest to it. Jesus gives a great response. And then, verse 14, then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him, being Jesus, over to you? So they counted out for him 30 coins. And we know there were silver coins from other um, gospels. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. These stories are not intended to be sort of separated as if very distant events from each other. They're coupled together intentionally. You find these stories together in the book of Mark, and Mark, as an author, often couples stories purposefully, and Matthew seems to pick up on the importance of it. And in a moment, I want us to consider why that might be important. First, though, as you imagine this story, you see Jesus in some sort of Middle Eastern setting, in some sort of home, preparing to enjoy a meal together with others, and all of a sudden, a woman comes in, and Matthew's account, she's unnamed, we don't know who she is. And she brings out this alabaster jar of perfume. Now, it would have been small, and it would have been a single-use um, item. So it's not something you just sort of pop the cap off of and use a little bit and pop the cork back in and use more later on another time. No, it was completely sealed. It had a very narrow neck, and it would have to break open the neck of it and then use all of that little supply in one instance. Now, the type of perfume used here, if you look at the other Gospels, you can kind of piece together what's going on, um, came from India, which was no you know, short journey in the ancient world. There was a root of a particular plant that would produce a very fine perfume. And so, understandably, you can understand why the text says, this was very expensive. We know that this was valued at the time at a year's full wage. So right now, you can just think about in your own mind, what's a year's 
full wage like according to you? And what would that be like to just decide to use up in one instance? When would you use it? Why would you use it? I want you to think about commoners. There wasn't a lot of wealth amongst the people that Jesus found himself with often. Commoners might have occasionally had a little jar of perfume like this. It could have been part of a family treasury passed along. Chances are, for the average commoner, you, you don't see these perfumes that often. You don't smell them that often. And how often? Maybe it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience to actually be around when somebody's breaking one open and utilizing it. I mean, it, would, it was reserved for very, very, very special occasions. If you had something like that, think about when would you use that? It wouldn't just sort of casually happen whenever, accidentally, spur of the moment. There would have been quite a bit of intention going into your decision to use something like this, and she uses it here. Really quickly, a couple questions for this text. The first question is this. Um, why did the woman do what she did, and why did Judas do what he did in this text? Now, uh, we understand, as Jesus helps us to see, here in this text and in the other Gospels, what's happening here is an act of pure love and devotion. This is worship. Very costly worship, isn't it? So she's worshiping, she's performing an act of powerful devotion to Jesus. He acknowledges, as he sees it, this was actually preparing him for what was upcoming in his life, leading towards death and then resurrection. Why did Judas do what he did? This is the beginning accounts of his betrayal of Christ. Why did he do that? We understand that Judas was part of a group of people called zealots. They had particularly passionate points of view about things. And it's very likely that Judas had his own idea of what a Messiah should be. He wanted a political revolution to occur. And was Jesus bringing about a political revolution? Well, absolutely. Just in the most different, unexpected way ever to be imagined. And because Jesus was beginning to show strong signals that he was actually going to be killed, there would, have, there would have been something in Judas that thought, this is no Messiah. This is not how we win the day for our people and our land. And so what is Judas experiencing? Massive disappointment. And there's a way, I suppose you could imagine that there might be an angle here where Judas is trying to put the pressure on Jesus to now give him every opportunity to accomplish whatever political maneuvers the Messiah might bring, but Jesus is not headed in that direction. Judas is disappointed. He's upset, and he's frustrated. So what are the messages really quickly that come from a text like this to us today? Like, perhaps the first might be just a, a good devotional thought, a cautionary one for us. Uh, watch how you handle disappointment in your life. And if you don't think that you'll ever be disappointed with Christians, church, or Jesus himself... Uh, rethink that. Uh, you know, have you ever been disappointed with a very close family member? Yes, we all have, haven't we? And now we're part of the family of God. Will we ever experience disappointment with one another? 
Will we ever experience disappointment in faith? Will we ever experience disappointment in Christian relationship? Will we ever experience disappointment with Jesus where there are times that we've got certain expectations that we think, well, he must accomplish. You know, maybe for some of us it would actually even be a political agenda or it could be some other kind of agenda. We know that the woman in the story appears to have no agenda for Jesus at all. She just comes to worship. Judas had an agenda. He was disappointed. And it led to great distance and then destruction in his life, didn't it? So beware of how you handle disappointment. Can you handle disappointment when it happens in your spiritual world? Can you handle it with a resilient, insistent trust in Jesus, even when you're confused by him? Because it will happen. Perhaps another message that lives in this text for us is that there's a relationship between resources, worship, and betrayal. There are things that you and I can do in the receiving or giving of resources that actually move either in the direction of worship or in the direction of betrayal. What do we see in this story? The beginning of the story, we see a woman using a resource and worshiping at a high cost. And at the end of the story, we see Judas receiving resources and moving in the direction of betrayal. So it begs the question of ourselves, does my handling of things, stuff, resources, move in the direction of worship, or does it move in the direction of betrayal? Now, the other thing to just notice in this story, and we're going to pick up this pattern because it lives elsewhere in Scripture, and we'll look at just a couple other instances. What we see in this story is at the beginning, we see sort of like the authors under the inspiration of the Spirit. So Matthew is saying, look at this. Look at this beautiful demonstration of worship. And then as the story concludes with Judas, it's watch out for this. The writers were conscious of their audiences. They knew that early followers of Jesus in those first centuries would be reading and hearing these stories. And so there was important pastoral messages being brought to first Christians. And some of it, in a story like this, had to be, watch this, and then watch out for this. Or, wow, and watch out. So the wow is in handling resources well in a worshipful way. And the watch out is mishandling resources in a way that can lead to betrayal or distance in a relationship with Christ. I want you to turn with me now to Luke chapter 16. I hear some Bibles. I hear some pages. It's so good. Luke chapter 16. We're going to look at just a couple other sort of wow and then watch out texts that live. You'll, you'll, as you do your own Bible reading, just pay attention to some, some of the mood in the text here and there. And you'll notice, I'm just going to show you two others, but you'll see many other times in Scripture that there is sort of a wow followed by a watch out. And there's a message in us to for us to pay attention to in that. In Luke chapter 16, begin in verse 15, uh, uh, 10, sorry, it says this, Jesus speaking, he says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either they will hate the one and love the other, or they will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And when you just think of those words right there and contrast that against the story of 
the worship act with the perfume and then Judas. We can see that this parallels that, doesn't it? Verse 14, the, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among people is detestable in God's sight. And what do we see in this text again? Wow, at the beginning, you know, if you're faithful and you steward things well, wow, this is what can happen. And then as the story ends here, the, this particular passage comes to a, its end, watch out. Be careful how things are handled from your heart. Let's look at one more wow and watch out. Turn to Acts chapter 4. This one's disturbing. I mean, the wow is great. The watch out is very, very disturbing. A Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32, says this. All the believers, so speaking of the first gatherings of the church, were one in heart and mind. They claimed, uh, sorry, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, uh, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was dis uh, distributed to anyone as they had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, uh, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, let me just pause there for a second to just say this. It is very impressive, inspiring, and almost intimidating to read about the radical generosity of the early church. Um, but let me just point something out here. In case you read that and you think, I think I have no other option, but I'm supposed to sell everything and give it away. That's not what's being said here. Uh, and we know that for many reasons, including the fact that as you read through the rest of the New Testament, the church continues to meet at people's homes. So not every one of the Christians sold their home. Um, they didn't all voluntarily become homeless and didn't have resources. No, no, no. There were some who, many, most, kept their properties. But some who were, had additional wealth, maybe they had other properties passed down in their family lineage or their business abilities had grown they would feel compelled under the inspiration of the Spirit at times. Well, if we, if we sold this property, we could give it away. And so there's this story of Barnabas. And so this is wow, right? Now, again, don't just read to the end of the chapter or the end of the section. Sometimes stories are meant to flow one into the other. So with all of that in mind in the book of Acts, carry into chapter 5 with me, and we're going to read through to verse 11. This is where it gets watch outy. It gets actually quite disturbing. Uh, 5 verse 1. A man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So sounds still wow, right? With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So this is where the story begins turning. Now, I need you to understand that it was fine for them to sell their property and decide to give a portion of it to God's purposes through the church. But pay attention to what happens as the story goes. Verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart and you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to people, but 
to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Well, how about an encouraging story in the book of Acts, hey? <laughs> and great fear seized all who heard what happened, no doubt. Anybody else want to be a Christian? This guy just died. Then the young, man came, uh, young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Last week, we were asking for volunteers to sign up in various things in our church. Um, if we were part of the first church in Acts, we might have had a checkbox that said, um, carrying the bodies out for if you lie to the spirit about your offering. Um, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Can you imagine? So she still doesn't know her husband's dead. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. How's that for a church announcement? At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man, the, those poor guys, they signed that checkbox. And okay, the pastor said, I only have to do this once a month. Uh, and they come back. And then the young men carried, uh, came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great, uh, verse 11, no surprises here. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these events. Wow. I mean, the first church was impressively generous and radical. And one couple got it mixed up terribly in their hearts, didn't they? They decided to posture their act of generosity in a way where they would lie to make themselves appear more impressive. And then they introduced a language of the enemy into the church trying to puff themselves up with pride, trying to appear one way, and lying. That's not the first language of followers of Jesus. And they paid dearly for it. Watch out. So, with some of these texts in mind, let me just move quickly into a few thoughts. How do we handle resources in a way that moves in the direction of worship? And again, you know, I don't bring up these texts so that all of us have the fear of God. and like, oh boy, I think I might have fudged a little bit on one of my percentages in a donation or something like that. Lord, please don't kill me yet. This is not about that. But I do think that as we pay attention to our own lives, there are resources that God has entrusted to your care. And we have every opportunity to move towards worship with resources in our giving and receiving of resources. And we must be warned, as we see with Judas, as we see in the Pharisees, as we see with Ananias and Sapphira, the mishandling of resources is the opposite of worship. It's not good. So, what are a few things that can help us move in the way and direction of worship in the handling of our resources? Number one, settle the ownership issue. In the story we looked at in Luke chapter um, 16, Jesus is telling a parable, and he's talking about the people of God, essentially, they're being likened to being managers. They, uh, all that's been entrusted to them is actually not theirs, it's God's. And their role is to manage what belongs to God. And so it's worth you and I remembering again that everything that we have in our lives is actually not by our own blood, sweat, and tears. It's from the hand of God. He is our provider. If you want to flip all the way back into Deuteronomy, it is such a great book. I want to read a great text to you. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 10. 
This is God speaking about his intentions to take care of people that belong to him and his family. And there is a bit of wow and watch out in this. Verse 10 says this, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving to you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine homes and settle down, and when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increases and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. Do you notice just in that text right there, God's spelling out, here's my intention to take care of you. Your needs will be a met. There will actually be the possibility of increase and abundance. And we're going to actually look next week at why God does that to his people and to his family. But he's saying here, watch your hearts. When, when provision is coming towards you, watch your hearts. Remember that the Lord is the source of this, not yourself. Verse 14, then your heart would become proud and you will forget the Lord. The Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the very vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, listen to this, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Verse 18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Settle the ownership issue. Is it yours or is it God? If you worked really, really hard and you were paid, is it yours or is it God's? Who gave you the strength? Who gave you the energy? Who gave you the employment? Who gave you the ingenuity? Who gave you the creativity? Is it yours? Is it God's? Second thing that will help you handling resources in a way that moves in the direction of worship. Settle the priority issue. Settle the priority issue. I'm flipping all the way back into Matthew. Well-known well -known passage from chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and engine lights blink on your vehicle all the time, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Skip all the way ahead to verse 33. Again, well-known passage it says this but seek first and this is on the heels of God talking about father, the father will take care of you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things all these provisions will be given to you as well Jesus is talking there about you can orient your life around trying to get all that you need or you can orient your life around engagement with God's kingdom purposes on earth and if that's your first priority he'll take care of everything else for you Settle the priority issue. Third, fire impulsiveness and higher preparedness. You have power. You're a manager of God's things. And so uh, you have, you're your own HR department. You get to hire and fire certain mindsets and abilities. You need to fire impulsiveness and higher preparedness. Um, 
if you're subject to advertising like we all are, if you're online or you, I don't know if this ads on TV, who even watches TV anymore? Do you watch TV? It's all, everything is streaming now these days, but there's still advertising, isn't there? Expedia does a great job, especially in the winter months, of trying to sell us the dream of a vacation. And if you've, you know, if you're going on a vacation, God bless you. We did last year, we hope to next year, so. But it, it's just, I thought it was amazing recently. Um, I've got a picture for you just to help you uh, if you've seen this ad, there's this woman uh, and her dog. She's in a wheelchair and she's scooting around in the winter. And neither the dog or the woman are particularly happy. And then she happens to be on her phone and you see that she's looking at Expedia. And then this voice comes in. And do you know what the voice says at that moment? I find it totally fascinating. Here's what Expedia preaches to the world, well, Canadians in the winter, you were made to act spontaneously. That's the line. Now, first of all, you were made. Expedia is procreation. That's good. Like they, they believe somebody made you. They didn't say you evolved. So that's fascinating. But what powerful and suggestive language. You were made to act spontaneously. And you think, I was, wasn't I? Now... If you pay close attention, who is the voice saying that? Who, who is somebody said Satan? Yeah, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> who's the voice in the commercial? No, no, no. Who's the actual actor's voice? Um, I believe, is it Ewan McGregor? Is that the guy? Yeah, is that his name, Jackson? This is Obi-Wan Kenobi. He, this is the same character who in the Star Wars series looks at... Uh, some people and says, these are not the droids you're looking for. And he uses the force on them. And he, like he uses the force. What is Expedia trying to do? Use the force on us. You were made to act spontaneously. And we're like, I was. I'm going to Hawaii. Or Mexico. Or somewhere warmer than this place. Um, that's just one silly little example, but the reality is all advertising that you see, and you see thousands of pieces of advertising every day, is trying, they're all trying to sell you one thing, dissatisfaction. And if they can add some impulsiveness to it, they got us, don't they? So I recommend, and this is hard at times, fire impulsiveness, higher preparedness. Fourth, and I'm going to call to the stage right now, Stefan Scott, to join me right now. Get wise help. Get wise help. Um, many people know who Stefan is. If you don't, this is Stefan. Would you join in welcoming him to the stage today? Come on, have a seat with me here. These stools are from our house. One of the spindles is faulty, and I don't know which, which one it is. So uh, did you sign the waiver ahead of time? Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, Stefan is a financial planner. And um, in the coming weeks, on February 24th, he's going to be offering a class here called Smart Money on a Saturday morning from 9 to 1. And everybody's invited to come. And this is intended to help you. Stefan is part of our church family. His kids are here. And um, he works in the community. And so I wanted to just ask him a few things. On the subject, since we're talking about getting wise help, here's a great opportunity for us as a church family. I, uh, Taste of the World is also happening. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why we went to that one. But um, 
a great opportunity for you to get some wise help. Believe it or not, not all of us know everything that we need to know, and so it really helps us to sit with others and learn from them. And um, so, Stefan, maybe you could just begin, um, since you're part of our church family, really quickly, how did you come to faith? What kind of led to that for you? Sure. This is on. I can hear myself. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Pastor Mike. Um, it was actually 23 years ago, earlier this month, I had my, my Christian birthday. Um, so back when I was in my late 20s, uh, it's a longer story, but there was a girl involved and uh, ended up joining a small evangelical church and a great little Bible study with a, a group of people who are still my friends. Um, and I'm an evidence-based type of guy, so I said, what am I going to do to learn about this whole Christianity thing? I bought a Bible, and I bought uh, Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict. So I started reading from mm. Genesis 1-1, started reading from page one in Josh's book. Uh, and intellectually, within a few months, I was very convinced the evidence is overwhelming. Uh, but my heart wasn't there yet. And one night in the small group, everyone was sharing their testimony, and they started with the person on my left, and they went that way. And I'm like, what am I going to say when I tell them have a story? And when they got to me, uh, Raf, who was the leader of the group, said, okay, you've heard everything, Steph. Tonight's the night. Are you going to profess faith? And I said, no, I'm, I'm not ready. I've got to be honest with you guys, right? Like, love you guys. You guys are great. I'm learning a lot, but I'm not there yet. Uh, and a couple months later... Um, in the middle of the night, I woke up and had a supernatural experience from my perspective, and it was really God just putting his thumb on me, is how I describe it, and him saying, hey, you asked the questions, I've given you the answers, what are you going to do about it now? Wow. And I said, okay, I acknowledged my sinfulness, that I needed a Lord and Savior, that Jesus was that Lord and Savior, uh, and I, I prayed and accepted him as uh, my God, and uh, Right at that moment, there was a hole in my heart that I did not know was there, and mm. boom, it was full, mm. and my lens on life radically changed from that day forward. Yeah. So that's, wow, that's wow. My awesome. That's so amazing to hear. Um, so you work as a financial planner, and you meet with people constantly to work through financial realities in their lives. What would you say are a few of the areas you consistently see or hear about where people have questions or having problems or they need help financially? Uh, I think a lot of people, uh, there's a lot to know, and it seems very complicated, but I would say it's not. Um, but you have, to, you have to learn about it, right? And for a lot of people, it's not an area that they're interested in. For some people, they're very interested in. So I, I think trying to, you know, distinguish the trees from the forest in Canada, uh, there's lots of terms that are thrown around. Uh, you know, there's different accounts of RSPs, TFSAs, FHSAs, and RESPs. What are those? What do they mean? Are they the, the same thing or different? Um, and people talk about, you know, borrowing and good debt and bad debt and saving and trying to invest and what's the best way to do all those things. Uh, so it seems very complex, but once you kind of make your way through it, uh, it can be much more straightforward than mm -hmm. that. So I think a lot of people have questions on... Um, how am I doing? Am I going to be okay in a year or five or 10 or 20? Um, so that's sort of where I come in is with that short, medium, long-term planning. I mm. love to help people with that uh, and answer questions. I love to teach. I love to be asked questions and I love to sort of take things that seem complex, but just put them in normal, edible, bite-sized chunks that people can digest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Laura and I took in Stefan's course last year. There was 30 people from the church that took in. It was very practical very helpful, and um, just for anybody who's a bit of a, 
skeptic about these things, you're probably thinking, okay, what product is Stefan going to try to sell us at that event? He's not. Um, he, he's, he makes his money otherwise, in other ways. He doesn't come on behalf of a particular organization or something else where he can flog a product at you, and if you buy in, then he gets paid somehow. He's just doing this as a volunteer in our church, and it's very, very helpful. Um, we did a survey as a church family. We do one every summer, and not this summer, but the previous one. We asked a, a couple questions about just how people were doing financially in our church when it came to the you know, what kind of things do you need help with? And we heard consistently that there are people in our church who are grappling with the reality of debt. They feel buried under it, or they just, maybe the way that they're wired, it's not easy to come up with a financial plan, like budgeting, or as you were talking about, they just, I'm kind of making it work right now, but I have no idea how we're going to retire one day. We don't have a plan. Are those the kind of things you're covering? Uh, like, you want to give us a nutshell version of what kind of stuff to look forward to in the course? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I really start with the basics. So, you know, I like to say if you're 12 up to 112, you're going to find something that you're going to benefit from. Um, it's very basic. This is not going to be complex. Um, we're going to run it probably about three and a half, four hours. Um, yeah, so I'll start with building blocks and kind of work our way along. So whether you uh, consider yourself a seasoned investor or someone who really dislikes talking about money, I think there'll be something for you there. Um, and there'll be opportunity for sort of questions and answers, that type of thing as well. Um, what else can I say about Any that? other hooks you want to throw at us to get us to come to your course? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, just the other day I was hearing sort of, sort of a podcast about Lifetime dealing with money, we often move through stages of borrowing, you know, when sometimes we go to school and we incur debt and that kind of stuff, and then we get to a stage in life where hopefully we can start saving after we've maybe paid that off. And different people have different circumstances in life that sometimes we never get out of that first stage. Uh, but if we're fortunate enough to start being able to save money, then, then we might move into the investing part, and gee, that can feel pretty intimidating as well. Uh, so we'll talk about sort of all those three stages. Um, my hook is that really uh, investing has been solved. We have 60 plus years of excellent academic evidence on what is the best way to invest your money for the longer term. Um, and I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but man, if you watch the commercials in Canada, uh, they want you to think it's very complex and you need to just give someone else your money and pay them 2% a year, some of the highest fees in the world we pay here in Canada. Cell phones and financial advice are very overly priced. Um, so I'll talk about simple ways to, to eliminate that. Uh, compounding effects over time are a lot worse than we all suspect. So all, all sorts of things. And if anyone has other questions too, bring them and we can chat about whatever you might be concerned about. And practical stuff. How can you practically implement some of these things? Uh, and our mindset as well. So, you know, you had some great points, Mike. Uh, it's not ours, you mm -hmm. know. If, if it's not ours, then we hold it a little looser. Sure. Uh, still... Act wisely and prudently with your finances, but boy, it's really freeing when you kind of realize how God wants us to handle that. Uh, it makes it a lot easier from my own life experience. Yeah, too. yeah. So I want to invite anybody, everybody, for joining us online. Um, you can go to our website, sign up for the course. It's free. Um, we'll fill the fellowship hall, so there's maybe a limited. We have to cap it at a certain number, but there's room for you right now. So I'd recommend um, every couple. At least one of you should try to come get some helpful advice and input. I want to keep you on the stage for a second here, Stefan. My next point in um, you know, the handling of resources and moving in the way of worship has to do with um, giving. You know, habitually give to what matters to Jesus. 
Um, you came to faith in Jesus a little later in life. I, I grew up in a church context. I'm grateful for my awesome Christian parents. They taught me a lot about giving and tithing, and so it was sort of built in and automatic. But you would have had a different experience. Um, when did you start giving and why? <laughs> yeah, I think it was, I'd been a Christian for a couple of years, and I was listening to a lot of online sermons. They didn't have podcasts back then. Um, but I loved listening to guys like John MacArthur, uh, John Piper, uh, guys that are just excellent, amazing preachers. And I listened to a sermon on tithing. And uh, I'd kind of seen people, you know, you pass a basket around, people are digging for change and trying to throw stuff in there. Um, but man, when it was just unpacked as a biblical perspective, you know, running from the Old Testament all the way to the New, uh, I just thought, oh, well, there it is. That's rationally and laid out for me, and there's the support for it. And if God, I've had, I'd had enough experiences then that even though stuff was hard that God said, no, you should do this or you should maybe not do that, oh, I trusted him and I just walked in faith on that. So I just started walking in faith on that. And I, uh, okay, tithe means 10%, I'll do that. So I love spreadsheets and I just uh, 10% off my gross started giving that to God and his work. And I've just, that's become a, a discipline in my life. Uh, and it's been, like I say, a good one. It just really, you know, it's not our money, it's, it's his and how can we be wise with it, but also not attached to it the way the world sort of wants yeah, us to be? Yeah. yeah, just a follow-up on that, and just if you have a comment on what I'm about to say, you know, it sounds like for you, after a few years, it just became an automatic thing, and many people, you know, our church, I want to thank our church family for your faithfulness and generosity to supporting God's work through our church. And for many of us, it is automatic, but there's moments for myself, being really honest, where there's times where I'm processing my tithe, and I actually... Instead of it being automatic, I'm actually thinking about that amount of money, or I get my um, tax receipt, and I look at that and I think, well, I can think of other things I'd like to do with that money. Um, you know, if you're saving for the future, I mean, if you're investing, it's like, well, I could, I could just make that grow over here instead, um, or this vacation could occur, or whatever. How do you handle some of those moments, or am I alone in that? No, I, same thing. <laughs> it's best not to look at the numbers sometimes. Uh, but no, I have the same feeling. You're just like, oh, I'd, I'd be how many years ahead in my, my life plan? Right, if, retirement yeah. early but, or something. But you yeah. know what? Then I, I guess sensibilities hit me, and I'm just like, again, it's like, wow. I'm, we're just, I'm just, personally, I'm so blessed. Uh, you know, we live in the Comox Valley. This is right. one of the best places on the planet to live. Mm. Uh, you know, I just still then deep in my heart think that Anything I've given, I've received multiple times back right, in so right. many ways. So that's just a good, I love it when God hits me with that perspective. Yeah, so that's that answers really good. the question. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for your input. Could you join me in showing thanks to Stefan? Thank you, Stefan. So the, the fifth thought is this, habitually give to what matters to Jesus. Pay attention in scripture to what matters to him. Stefan talks about being evidence-based. Uh, watch the trends through the Old Testament, into the New Testament, into the first church practices. It, it, it's so hard to imagine regretting supporting God's work and what matters to him. And, uh, you know, we do, we're blessed as a church family to have a handful of people who are very new in following Jesus. And I've had a few conversations over the last year or so with a few of them. And I've not brought up the subject of money or giving with them. They've brought it up. And one just talked about, like, you know, I was really wired early in life to just sort of clutch everything that's, that I've earned. And I had an experience recently, and I didn't, I didn't feel the same way about money. It was as if it wasn't controlling them the way that it had before. 
and there were new practices of giving. We had an, another couple that talked to me one day, and it was really special to hear them share. They said, we just, to be honest, we came into money in an unexpected way, and um, you know, my whole life I was raised to think this and that about money, but now I'm a follower of Jesus. And like I didn't sit there and tell them what to do with their money. It was a work of the Spirit and the, the Word of God in their lives. They said, we decided we need to tithe on this. And, and we got so excited about it. And they just went on talking about the joy that they experienced, which was such a different experience to how they were raised to handle money, where it was sort of this nervousness and anxiousness of hold on and keep, keep, keep. But when our hands are closed, clutching what God's provided, it's really hard for him to put more in our hands, isn't it? But when we learn to release and be open-handed to give, we also have an opportunity to receive. We don't give to receive. But in God's kingdom and his economy, when we give, he knows, oh, I can trust this person. And as I provide for them, they will continue to care for what matters to me in this world. As we conclude today, I want to go back to the first passage that we were in in Matthew chapter 26. Do you remember the jar of perfume? It was very expensive. It was poured out in an act of worship. And then Judas instead receives funds as an act of betrayal. Two questions to just leave with today from that text. Number one, why Simon? And number two, why 30? Why Simon? At the beginning of that story, did you notice that the setting, we were told, we, we're not told the name of the woman who actually gives this gift, but we're told the name of somebody there, the home of Simon, what? The leper. Now, what do we know about the ancient world in Jesus' time, in the Jewish culture of the day? Lepers didn't have homes, or they had homes, past tense. Once somebody had leprosy, they were out of the community. They had to live outside of the community. They were separated from social relationships, family relationships, and material possessions. He may have had a home, but it was now in somebody else's care. But they're in his home. And so presumably, and even as you study what scholars and academics would say about this text, they'd say, we have to assume that Simon the leper is a leper that Jesus has healed. And so Simon was taken from the outside and without and brought back into his own home and into the relationships again. And now he's hosting a meal where Jesus is. What does that tell us? Jesus redeems. Jesus restores. And for the application of today's thought about handling resources in a healthy way, some of you have experienced great loss financially in your life, and it wasn't your own doing. It happened to you. Or maybe some of you, you're like, no, 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 that's my fault. <laughs> I experienced the loss because of me. I feel like I'm a leper on the outside. Guess what? Jesus redeems. Jesus restores, and he can help create a fresh start for you in whatever area of your life you need, including the handling of resources and provision. Second thing, why 30? We know from the stories in the Gospels that when Judas goes to betray Jesus, he receives 30 pieces of silver. Why do they include that detail? We're not entirely sure. But 30 pieces of silver shows up elsewhere in the Bible. It shows up in the Old Testament. And in its first occurrence, in the book of Exodus, 30 pieces of silver is what the price was set to be for replacing a slave who's accidentally killed by an ox. Random detail, eh? 
But this is God dying for humanity. What price should we set on his life? The equivalent of a slave? Like if you had to set a price on the life of God, I think it would be a lot, a lot more. And here is God himself coming in human form. And when he dies for humanity, when he's betrayed by humanity, he identifies with the lowest people in humanity, the slave, the servant. And listen to how the early church picked up on that being not accidental, but a revelation of the very nature of God. This is what God is like. One of the first hymns that might have been recited in the church, Philippians 2, says this, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to have to grasp after. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Maybe 30 pieces of silver might tell us that too being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, even becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. This is the God we serve. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a song in response and in worship, and then we'll leave together. As we conclude today, I'm going to call our prayer ministry team to come forward and make themselves available right now. Maybe there is something that God's working on in your life, and you just could really use prayer from somebody else. Maybe you're thinking of someone else. It's not your own need. You would just like, you'd like it a lot if somebody could join you in praying for someone else. It'd be our honor to pray for you. You know, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I, I better anyway, since I did refer to the subject of giving. One of the questions we get asked most often when people phone our church is, how do I give to your church? You never talk about it. Like nobody's handing out an offering bag. We don't know how we can do this here. And so in case, if you're one of the newer people and you think, well, I'd like to begin doing that. I just don't know how you do that here. If you want to give physically, um, the back of the upstairs balcony and the lobby or the main floor here, at the back wall as you're exiting, there's a little offering box. Please don't steal it. Um, but you can put your gifts in there. Um, checks, cash, that kind of thing. But most of the giving occurs online. You can go to our website, cpclife.com, and there's a button there that says giving, and you can set up regular giving if you'd like to do that. Um, and we're so just grateful for what God does in our church family as we're empowered to bring about change in our community through the resources that God is entrusting this church with. Thank you for your generosity and your faithfulness. I want to pray. Father, thank you for everyone here today. I think it's our sincere desire to want to be as worshipful towards you as we can with everything that you've given us. We confess at times this is a struggle. We confess at times we're not as faithful or as generous as we wish we could be in some situations. But we're connected to you and you carry us and you so faithfully provide for us and you've empowered us. Speak to our hearts as we need to hear it today. Lead us to the actions you're calling us to today, this week, this year. May the handling of our resources, things as simple as budgeting or debt or long-term saving, whatever it is, may it be marked by health and the wisdom of your word. Now as we go into your world on your mission, 
We want people right here in the Comox Valley to discover that Jesus loves them and saves them. Would you send us in your power and send us with one another to be on your mission all week long? We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Would you turn to a few people and offer them a warm smile? And if you don't recognize them, let them know who you are and say, what's your name? Bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. Thanks again for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged you as you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more.